With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to episode 207 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, and I'll be your host for this episode. We are getting deep into the postseason right now. As of recording, the Indians are in the World Series, Cubs and Dodgers are still playing. My rooting interest, the Blue Jays, is out, so unfortunately that's, uh, you know, that's not ideal, but let's be fair, I was just looking for something to, someone to root for as the uh, Mets season ended and so I guess now I'm shifting that to Cleveland. So here is a conversation from earlier in the week between myself and Chris McShane, where we talk about some potential bullpen arms for the Mets, although the potential is relatively low, as well as um, a couple other fun things. So enjoy. Well, Chris, today news broke that the Mets are considering um, picking up Jay Bruce's $13 million option and then perhaps trading him instead of keeping him on the roster. Now, there's a lot of reasons why trading Bruce makes a lot of sense. If Cespedes comes back, that will mean four or five corner outfielders competing for jobs. It specifically means a very left-handed 
uh, outfield position. With Cespedes is obviously right-handed, but you know you'll get Curtis Granderson, Brandon Nimmo, and um, Michael Conforto, all who probably deserve some corner outfield reps. Um, you know, Bruce is Bruce's contract is very very affordable. It's probably appealing to most teams to pick up somebody who hit thirty three home runs last year and uh, only pay thirteen million dollars for them. But you know, it's not a perfect situation. Bruce obviously had a terrible second half and is a bit of an unknown quantity going into twenty seventeen. So, what do you think about this? Do you think the Mets should pick up his option and then trade him? Because I think that actually sounds pretty reasonable to me. Yeah, yeah, that, I think that's where I'm at now. I know a few weeks ago it was more, you know, forget the option, let him go. Yeah. Don't even get stuck with one year, 13 million. Uh, I would hope that they go in. I hope right now they've spent all of their time since they haven't had to worry about postseason rosters and all that. Uh, I hope they've spent that time, you know, talking to the guys who you would want to keep around. Cespedes obviously is the top one of them um you know Bartolo is is another who I think they would like to have back and he wants to be back and this year was really a perfect example of why you would maybe want to have him around um and Jerry Blevins too I think falls into that category absolutely you know guys who Cologne and Blevins are officially on one-year contracts that will make them free agents when the World Series ends um, so I hope that's how they're spending their time now. And obviously I hope that with Cespedes, whatever terms they may or may not agree to, uh, I hope that's all in place so they know when the off season officially begins that, you know, either he's here and we can do something like pick up Bruce's option with a complete intent to trade him, um, you know, rather than pick it up and then feel like, oh, that's $13 million against the budget, you know, that's hypothetically half of a year of Cespedes. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, I, I think the, the feeling that they should maybe consider not even picking up the option was, was perhaps a little emotional. Yeah, but I was right there with you. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was just bad. Yeah. Just so bad. I, I think it's amazing how the human mind works. Just because he got hot for a week and a half, I think we all forget just how bad he was. Yeah. But it was it was terrible. Oh, I mean, yeah. He no, was it, unwatchably bad for a month and a half. Right. And that was sort of one of the frustrating things with the season in, in general was that, you know, Conforto started out so great and, you know, he's coming off a great couple of months in the majors last year and a good performance in the playoffs uh april he was up there with the best of the best and then his production drops off from the beginning of may and you know i know he bounced back and forth a couple times to vegas and he wasn't playing every single day when he was in the big leagues but that combination of the way he hit from may through most of the rest of the season he was better in september but you know most of the time he played it didn't go well and then you go get Bruce, which presumably they wouldn't have done if Conforto had just been fine all right. along. Because, I mean, he seemed redundant even at the time, given what had happened. Absolutely. At the trade deadline. But if Conforto had been, you, you know, 
on top of his game, I don't think they would have even entertained picking up Bruce. So, you know, you get into that situation, and then Bruce, from the time he joined the Mets until the final week of the season, was basically Conforto from May 1st up until, you know, September when he finally got it together a little. Yeah. But it's funny, it's, you know, the the sophomore who has that stronger showing at the end of the season and is still in his early 20s, that's more encouraging, certainly, than... And Bruce isn't ancient by any means, but it's more encouraging for the young guy, I think, to finish the season the way he did than it is for Bruce. So, so yeah, I, I hope that we learn very shortly after the World Series ends that the Mets and Cespedes have worked out whatever... You know, I think he only had, free agency starts five days after. Yes, and he, he has three days for yeah. the opt out. I believe. I believe that is the tr- that is true. Yes. So I hope sometime in that window we find out that they've, you know, come to terms on something. Um, now he know- doesn't. He doesn't have to. If he opts out completely, that there's no clause in his contract. The Mets can't negotiate. Correct. This this is not like a. Um, not a situation where if he opts out, the Mets cannot bid on him. Right, yeah, not not like this sort of awkward situation they would have been last year right. if that had been the case um, before he waived that specific clause. But yeah, no, it, um, it, as far as I know, he, you know, he opts out. He's just a free agent. They can give him a qualifying offer. Um, obviously, if they didn't expect to keep him, you would want them to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a pick isn't going to stop a team from signing him if he ultimately ultimately were to leave, right? But yeah, I'm I'm just I don't know I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that he'll stick around. It seems like a good fit, and we know that the Mets don't generally like to ruffle the feathers of the commissioner's office. That is true. Uh, so I don't think they would you know break in and leak an agreement to Ken Rosenthal in the middle of a World Series game. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it's the kind of thing that if they have it, we would learn about it very soon after the World Series ended. Um, it's funny. Everything comes back to Cespedes. I was going to say, yeah, we started talking <laughs> about Bruce around Cespedes now. But, uh, you know, with, with the Bruce situation, I think that there's two really important things to remember here. If the Mets do pick up his option and they can't trade him, they're essentially in the same situation they were in at the end of last season, where they have too many players they want to get into the game. Early in the season, I don't think that's as big of a deal. I think that there's going to be plenty of teams out there at the All-Star break who are going to need offense, or even before. And I think that, you know, you're going to... Is it ideal to have you know five corner outfielders on your on your roster? Absolutely not. But I don't think it's this sort of end of the world scenario. I think people are saying you know if I've seen a couple of people on on the always reliable Twitter dot com saying that you know it's it's a nightmare if you pick up Bruce's contract and then you can't trade him. I think nightmare is a bit strong. I don't expect him to be as bad as he was at the end of last season. I don't expect him to be as good as he was at the beginning of last season, but I think if if he gives you some decent production along the way, you can probably trade him down the line a little bit. Yeah. So and, I don't you know. I mean, go ahead. Oh no, it's just it, to to add to that a little bit. I think if you go into spring training and you have that many 
corner outfielders. You certainly have to have. I know that they've already mentioned that Conforto might get some reps at first base. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I'd I'd certainly approach Bruce about it too. And that's not none of that's a knock on Lucas Duda. Uh, you know, obviously he missed a lot of time this year with his back injury. Uh, it's the sort of thing that can't hurt to have at least some practice with so that you don't get into a situation where maybe Duda is hurt. And I'm not even entertaining Duda being non-tendered, uh, just oh, no. by the way. No, um, no, 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 no. Bad idea. <laughs> but, you know, you get into a situation where Duda is hurt and you don't go, well, uh, you know, Eric Campbell is just going to be the everyday first baseman because nobody else has had any reps there. So, you know, I think not everyone can be Ben Zobrist, and that's an understatement, but to the extent that you might be able to get some positional flexibility out of guys, uh, the, this would be the time to do it from the corner outfielders. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, just so you have insurance plans and all that, and, you know, even an injury in spring training, uh, and it's rare that a position player has a season-altering injury in spring training. but It happens, though. AJ Pollock this year was an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know if a healthy Pollock all season would have saved the Diamondbacks. <laughs> yeah, but it, I, I think, think it gets so. it gets a little overlooked, rightfully so, because the front office was a mess, and we learned you know they made terrible moves. We learned that they didn't know the rules when it came to uh, one specific trade negotiation. <laughs> you know, it, there was a lot there to focus on. But, you know, you wonder maybe a full season out of Pollock might have made everybody look better. Um, At least a little bit better. Right. I mean, the guy was great. So, you know, you never root for that sort of thing to happen. But if some team has a corner outfielder get hurt and it's the end of March, you know, that that would be an opportunity. And then, as you alluded to, if not, then in July. Especially because the it wouldn't it would just be a rental for Bruce at that point, and uh, teams would be more willing to take. I feel like the Mets would be less picky about who they got back for him at that point. Yeah. So you know there are certainly options out there. Um, I I personally think that there are enough people out there. Uh, I was going to say the Arizona front offices of the world, but we know that that front office has been almost completely remade already. You know who will see thirty three home runs and ignore everything else. Right, and so I, <laughs> I think that there will be a trade partner out there for the Mets if they did pick up the option and did want to trade him, and uh, I'm fine with that. You know, I I, I almost feel bad, not almost. I feel bad for Bruce. I think it's got to be hard to come over to a new team and play the worst baseball of your career <laughs> when you get over here and when they're in a playoff hunt. Yeah, you know, so I do feel for the guy. I'm sorry he had a a rough, a rough time with the Mets, but you know. Them picking up his option and trading him, I think, is is the best move for everybody. Yeah. Um, you, when we were chatting about what we wanted to talk about today, you specifically mentioned that you wanted to talk about uh, a pair of relievers that are in the playoffs right now that Mets fans are uh, are talking a lot about and potentially showing interest in, and that would be uh, Kenley Jansen and Aralis Chapman. 
you have a clear preference here, so why don't you start this conversation? If if the Mets, and this is a huge if that I don't think is is real, but let's pretend it is. If the Mets were going to go out there and sign somebody to take Jerry Familia's closer job from him, and uh, you know they were willing to spend some money, and they were looking at one of these two relief pitchers, who would you advocate for the Mets signing? So I am more of a Jansen guy, and you know I, I definitely agree we're working in the very hypothetical here, but it's something that I've seen mentioned in a few outlets. I think the day after the Mets season ended, somebody was advocating that they go get Chapman, uh, which is an overreaction to Familia, <laughs> I, to say the least. <laughs> Uh, right. So in the context of, you know, that we, we don't expect the Mets to spend money or significant money on late-inning relievers, and Jurius Familia is fine. And Addison Reed is fine. Right. It, with all that in mind, if the Mets were to go down that road and you're looking at you know, two of the best relievers in the game... Uh, I'm more of a Jansen guy, and that's not, you know, I think part of it is the overall picture with, you know, we obviously saw the Mets bring Jose Reyes back under circumstances that were similar to the ones that, you know, landed Chapman with the Yankees instead of with the Reds. Uh, I know he would have been with the Dodgers, but the Dodgers chose when they learned about those allegations uh, which ultimately resulted in his suspension for a chunk of the first month. Was it a little, month? A little I more think it was a month? little more than a month, yeah. Um, you know, that, that changed the Dodgers' approach, and they, they walked away from a deal they had with Cincinnati when they learned about that. Uh, it, that's an element of it. And, you know, right, some people might be okay with it. Certainly... Plenty of Mets fans, I don't know if it was a majority, but plenty of Mets fans were okay with Jose Reyes coming back. Uh, you know, even if they considered it conditional, they, they were welcoming. So there's that. I, I'd really prefer the Mets, the Mets not to be the team that has the two guys who served suspensions for similar things. Yeah. but We, we don't want the Mets to be the, the hot spot for all the uh, marital abusers out there. Right. So there's... There's that element, but from a baseball perspective as well, I think Chapman is a freak. You know, he throws routinely well over 100 miles an hour. You know, even if no Syndergaard were a reliever full time, I think Chapman would still be throwing harder. Um, you know, he he might <laughs> Syndergaard would probably hit 101 or 102 uh, from time to time, but we see Chapman throw 102, 103. Uh, with some regularity. So I get it. I get like that physical, just like, wow, oh my God, like nobody nobody else does that. You know, who is this guy? Um, and, you, you know, you look at it, his career numbers are really great. He put up most of them while he was pitching in Cincinnati, which is not a pitcher-friendly park. Um, but... You know, there's there's not really that much of a drop off in certain regards when you when you look at Chapman to Jansen, and in at least one or two ways, Jansen is perhaps a slightly better pitcher. Uh, mainly, he doesn't walk guys, 
and Chapman can be a little prone to that. And, uh, you know, we saw in, uh, and it certainly wasn't all of his own doing, but we did see in game two of the NLCS that Chapman is not invincible, which I think everybody needs to be reminded of with closers on other teams who are, who are <laughs> lauded, you yeah. know? Um, so both of these guys are absurd strikeout rates, absurd walk rates, uh, Jansen's slightly older, just about a, a little less than a year, about five months older. Um, he's got a little more major league mileage on his arm, although he didn't, as we, if you've watched any of the playoffs, you've heard over and over again that he used to be a catcher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he hasn't been pitching his entire baseball life. Um, That's one of those he, facts that they love to talk about on national broadcasts. Yeah, well, yeah, I couldn't help but tweet about uh, Jansen used to be a catcher bat in the same year that Kirk Newenheis used to play football. <laughs> I didn't see that. That's a good tweet. Which that's, was that's a solid was, tweet. Like it didn't. They weren't quite doing it at the same time because Jansen was only doing. I guess he was probably in like spring training, but you know, Newenheis graduated high school in the same year that Jansen started his professional career. So close enough. I applaud that tweet, my friend. Thank you. Uh, that if, if we're not here to applaud each other's tweets, I don't know why we're podcasting. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, do you think that there is a substantial upgrade over Familia if the Mets in this hypothetical universe were to sign Jansen? Uh, Significant I mean, enough to make the financial investment. Let's put it that way. Right. Well, I think if you're looking at it, it's not necessarily, and you know who, who serves what role. And uh, what I've loved about these playoffs is that managers have all of a sudden just destroyed bullpen roles. Uh, mainly Terry Francona, who's just turned Andrew Miller into a freak. Yep. Um, more so than he already was. You know, he he had been dominant. But the notion that you can have multiple really great relievers and Cody Allen is is pretty good. You know, it's not like uh, he's not up there on that tier with some of the other guys that we're talking about. But this is a good pitcher. And, uh, you know, freed from specific roles, these guys are showing that they can still perform and. Yeah, so I, I suppose if the Mets were to go get one of these two guys, Terry Collins would probably use one of them as his closer. Um, I, I don't think the difference between either one of them and Familia is large, but it's that sort of you know Royals of a couple of years ago, Yankees to start the 2015 season bullpen model that, hey, we've got three guys who are lights out. You know, Reed, Familia, and either one of Jansen and Chapman is certainly a daunting task for another team. And it opens up the, you know, the possibility that you can alternate a little bit and not have to go, Oh, Hey, we're, we're up by three or two or one or, or the game's tied. Uh, got to go to Reed, got to go to Familia. You know, you might be able to get a guy a night off uh, where you, where you wouldn't otherwise. So I get the appeal of all that, but you're also, I think you're presuming that Terry Collins would use the bullpen that way. 
Right. No, all three guys might just pitch every time they have a lead, which yeah. I think the Yankees did a lot this year, really. Yeah. You know, I mean, they had their whole little, like, no runs DMC right. thing. And, I mean, I'd have to go back and look and see how they lined up. But just from some awareness of the Yankees being the other team in the town, uh, it, it did seem that it was very often that sort of thing that – you know, those three pitched pretty much any time they had a lead in the seventh inning. Which is absurd because if you have those three pitchers, then you can use them in high leverage situations. You can, you, you can at least utilize one of them in a high leverage situation that doesn't constitute a save situation or leading up to a save situation. But yeah. You, but, you know, you know how managers are. Um, most managers are very, very by the book with their bullpen usage. And I think it's it's kind of interesting how in the playoffs it's applauded for using your bullpen in that way, but in the regular season you are lambasted for it. Right. Well, yeah, in, in the playoffs, especially if it works. Yes, yes. I think the good thing with Miller is that, you know, if it worked, well, it has worked so far, but, you know, here's a guy who got a good contract as far as relief. Go. One of the funny things is that as much as baseball salary have, you know, risen for pretty much every other position, relief pitchers really aren't making that much money in comparison. Um, you look around, I think, is Mariano Rivera might still, aside from Francisco Rodriguez kind of with the Mets, <laughs> that followed. You know, guys that cross fifteen million a year as relief pitchers are, are pretty rare. Um, you know, so it's uh, the point I think I'm making here is that Miller is well compensated and doesn't necessarily have to be a closer. And you know, my show it the reliever you go sign doesn't have to be your closer, but man, it would be nice to have him. You know, I, I hope that Miller. Let's break down the, the definition of that role kind of by himself just because he's he's even with the Yankees he you know he served as more of a setup guy um yeah and it'd be fun to see smart bullpen usage in general now we're really dreaming I know and uh last on our agenda for tonight is uh the Arizona Fall League is underway, and we have, you know, if you're a serious Mets fan, you're keeping track of, of maybe some of the players there, but everybody in New York is hearing about one particular Met in the Arizona Fall League, and that is Tim Tebow, the disgrace to baseball, according to uh, to, cert, to a certain national prospect writer, Um you know, Tebow had his first, collected his first hit today in the Arizona Fall League. Has looked pretty miserable as a uh, as a professional ball player so far. Um, we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording. How neither one of us is particularly uh, convinced that Tebow would have a major league career, no matter how this shook out. But uh, there's this sort of uh, sea of outrage happening right now about. How dare the Mets give him a contract? How dare they? Uh, I, you know, 
it's also ridiculous to me. I have a hard time even talking about it seriously. But essentially this idea that baseball is so sacred and the Mets are just dragging it through the mud by giving Tebow a contract and having him play in the august ranks of the uh, Arizona Fall League. So do you do you take any of this with anything other than a hefty grain of salt, Chris? Uh, no. I mean, it's... I I get it in terms of a, you know, sort of the scouting perspective. Go ahead, watch Tebow. Uh, you know, as we record, he just got his first hit in the Arizona Fall League. Um, I think he's one for 16 with maybe a walk or two uh, along the way. So, you know, go ahead, write the critique. And it's funny, you know, in football, I was beyond like i was i was a tebow hater in terms of football <laughs> like enough just from that just watching him play in that sport uh, you know i wasn't buying what his supporters were selling but like you said is the arizona fall league um you know i know teams they use it for a variety of things but certainly the quality of play there is pretty good um also, it's you know it's it's just as meaningful as the rest of minor league baseball in terms of game by game. You know, Tim Tebow being there isn't screwing anybody else out of an opportunity. Uh, it's not, you know, messing with the development of other players on either you know the team that he's playing for or, or other players in the game. It's really just. Uh, you know, whatever. This to me is just the, uh, this is the internet, you know, eating its own tail, right? It's, it's so easy to get riled up about Tebow that anything the Mets, if the Mets offered him a contract to sell peanuts, there'd be a problem. You know, it's just, it's a combination of the, you know, LOL Mets and the, general hatred of Tebow. And look, I am no Tebow fan. I, I don't think it was a I don't think it was a smart move to sign him. I understand why they did it. It probably got a whole hell of a lot more people to go down to the instructional league in Port St. Lucie. Certainly more media coverage there. It's probably helping ticket sales in the Arizona Fall League. It's um you yeah. know it's a thing. It's a business decision and it's one that will be over before you even know it, dear Mets fan. It's not. This is not going to carry on that much longer. Yeah, I could see like spring training. I I think he sticks with it at least through spring, and then trying to play for an affiliate. Yeah, yeah, I think so, that's correct. But you know, from from the team's perspective, spring training, uh, he will get plenty of attention. And you know, this year they didn't really have any problem attracting large crowds coming off a World Series appearance, right? Um, you know, I imagine there will be some extra tickets sold. Yeah. Because of Tebow and spring training, he'll have his own media circus, but you know, it doesn't really, he's certainly not phased by it. He, he seems to fully enjoy that. Uh, yeah. He lives in this world, right? He's, he's used to this. It's not, it's not altogether unfamiliar for him. And, and I'm not saying this is why they did it, but perhaps a nice unintended consequence of, of him being around in spring training. Uh, 
little things, what Matt Harvey does on a daily basis, you know, who's throwing out whose lunch, things like that might just fly a little bit more under the radar. Yeah, he becomes the lightning rod, right? right? All the attention goes to him and it lets smaller spring training stories fall by the wayside, which is what the Mets want. Nobody wants spring training stories. The only thing you want out of spring training is somebody's hitting the shit out of the ball and where you're going to find the place for them to play come the regular season. You never want to hear about someone off to a slow start. You never want to hear about somebody who's being a bad presence in the clubhouse, having their lunch thrown away, whatever the case may be. So he's a lightning rod. He takes the attention that everybody wants to get away from the real stories and gives it to Tebow. It's a great idea for the Mets in that regard. Yeah, so... They're, uh, you know, to me, write your scouting report, you know, throw all the shade you want on them there, and you probably won't look bad. You know, the odds that it, that he works out are, are very, very low. But What um, was the last time there was a, a pro athlete who made his, his bones in another sport coming over to baseball and, and having any modicum of success was Deion Sanders the last one uh yeah I, I think so I'd have to go back I'd have to go back and check to see if anybody else that sounds like it to me yeah I mean it wasn't uh, was it Brian Jordan who was uh, a Falcon briefly before he was he fully committed to baseball I was not aware of that I think so. Time honored tradition. Listen to us. Google things. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a dual baseball and football career. He played for the Falcons while he played for the Cardinals, Braves, Dodgers, and Rangers. Okay. I was not aware of that. Yeah. So I, and I think, let's see. And I'm just citing Wikipedia here. So anything I'm saying could be completely wrong, but. Probably right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of guarantee you get from Amazing Avenue Audio, folks. Probably yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, he was a defensive back for the Falcons from 1989 to 1991. Uh, so it was, it was a brief, as Wikipedia calls it, NFL career, um, and certainly a longer baseball career. But yeah, I mean that that's you know obviously Bo Jackson was the one who succeeded. Right. In, in such a great way in both sports. Uh, but he, Brian Jordan, Deion Sanders, uh, guys who at the very least were productive baseball players, you know, to varying degrees. But yeah, it's, I can't think if there's been somebody since then. You know, I remember like guys who maybe had gotten drafted in the NHL and. Major League Baseball. You mean Tom Glavin? Never played. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking Eric Lindros, too. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I like to not remember Tom Glavin. <laughs> <laughs> Although he's a little, like, he was pretty good as a Met. Until he, he was. Uh, yeah, exactly, until the, until it mattered. Right, yeah. But he, he was a useful part of the 2016. Absolutely. Uh, so I'll give him that little bit of credit. But, yeah, for some reason, Eric Lindros was on my mind. But yeah, um, I, 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 it's been a while. I don't, I can't remember anybody else since then who's 
who's done what the you know ba- football baseball players have done. Yeah, and I don't think we're going to be adding Tim Tebow's name to that list. Sorry, yeah, Tim. Probably not. Yeah, he's uh he's a really interesting case study for a lot of reasons. I'm not going to get into on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it that way. If uh, if this is almost any other floundered NHL, NFL quarterback, I don't think we'd be paying half as much attention to it. Right. And, uh, yeah, that's that's the way it is. So, All right, Chris, any, uh, any update to your uh, playoff rankings, your playoff hopes? Uh, so I think last week I mentioned the Rich Hill connection. Yes. Um, I have any of the four remaining teams. Winning will not bother me. Um, there's some slight preferences here and there. So Hill, uh, Hill and Kershaw, and Puig, even though he may not be playing a ton, you know, guys on the Dodgers who I like. I, I think Do they balance out the uh, Chase Utley's, Justin Turner's of the world for you. Yeah, yeah, enough. I mean, it, I can I can definitely live with it. Um, for the sake of those guys, the the Cubs, a little bit annoying still. How much praise and love they get, uh, but if they were to go on to win it all, that's okay. Cleveland's a cool story because of the similarity to the Mets in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, so that would be good in Toronto at this point. Uh, you know they won today as we record. They may be eliminated by the time you hear this. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, whether a team that hits a lot of home runs and all that, and, you know, all right, Dickie spent a few years there, even though he's, I believe he's not even on the postseason roster. Which is a shame. Yeah, but, but you know, there, there's enough to like with all of them. If I'm doing an actual ranking, I think it would probably be Cleveland, Toronto, Dodgers Cubs but again if the Mets had to be out we're living in the best case scenario I you know it's like one A B C and D in terms of my remaining choices yeah um, I'm still hoping for the Blue Jays to have a miraculous comeback here and uh, because that's always a fun story and I have some friends that are big Jays fans so that'd be nice and uh, you know my daughter decided she's an Indians fan for the postseason she uh, she saw me watching baseball. She said, I thought the Mets were over. I said, they are, but, you know, there's, there's four teams that are still playing. And she said, what are their names? And I told them, she goes, I think the Indians should win. I said, okay. And so every day now she asked me if the Indians won. So, nice. you know, for her sake, it'll be nice to see a Cleveland title that she'll never, ever remember because she's four years old. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> why not? Hello, Mets fans, and this is Aaron York for Mason Avenue Audio, and today, as the young offseason for the Mets continues and the championship series for the American League and the National League continue, let's talk about a couple of rumors that have surfaced regarding the Mets' offseason plans. Uh, both of them came up either this morning or last night, and I'm recording this on a Tuesday. But 
they will remain things to talk about as the offseason continues. The first was from John Heyman, the former CBS sports reporter. He talked to a baseball executive who, who suggested that the Mets could trade Jay Bruce instead of just buying him out in order to get some value back for him if they did not want to bring him back, which would probably be in a scenario where the Mets re-sign Yoenis Cespedes. So that would be pretty cool if the Mets, not only if they were able to land Cespedes yet again, but if they were able to trade Jay Bruce out of their crowded outfield instead of just having to buy him out. He's due to make $13 million next year if the Mets pick up his option, but perhaps the Mets can trade him away for a team who wants a corner outfielder with power just for one year on an affordable deal. The problem with that is that the Mets would probably look bad because they are unlikely to get the same kind of value from Bruce that they gave away when they traded for him at the trade deadline this August 1st. They gave up Dilson Herrera in that deal, the who was considered a possible second baseman of the future for them, and he could be a major league regular as early as next season for the Cincinnati Reds. But that we'll have to see. In the meantime... For the Mets to get a return on Bruce, he's kind of a one-trick pony at this point with his power. He doesn't hit for average. He really hasn't gotten on base very often during the past three seasons. He really only played well for a couple months in 2016. His defense is pretty lousy. So he does have one pretty good trick. He's got easy 30 home run power. But how valuable is that in today's game where... Teams are now looking for guys who can put the ball into play instead of striking out all the time like hitters do these days against these dominant pitchers. But if the Mets do get Cespedes back and they can get something semi-useful from Bruce, that would be pretty cool. But first they have to re-sign Cespedes. I think if they don't do that, they're likely to uh, exercise that option on Bruce instead of dealing him away just to get keep some pop in their lineup. Hope Bruce performs more like he did in the first half of 2016 and in that those last uh, week or so of of the season when he was something of a hero for the Mets and just go from there. So that is something to think about down the road. Another rumor was floated by John Harper of the New York Daily News. He said that the Mets should pursue Kenley Jansen in the offseason season. Jansen of the Los Angeles Dodgers, who was able to close out Game 2 of the NLCS, giving the Dodgers a win to even the series against the Cubs. And he is one of the best closers in baseball. And Harper is speaking of a trend where we're hearing a lot of how the closer role, which sabermetrics people and stat heads say it's not that important, but now it's looking very important these days because of, I'm not really sure there have been some things that have happened this year. Now, this could be just because Yeru's Familia, he gave up three runs in the top of the ninth in the wildcard game for the Mets. So even though he became the 13th player in Major League Baseball history to save at least 50 games this year, 
he's looking less valuable because the past two postseasons he's given up huge home runs in bad spots, but even though he walked a few too many guys this year, he still seems like a valuable guy that the Mets wouldn't mind putting in the ninth inning again, especially with Addison Reed having the eighth inning on lockdown. He's been one of the better under-the-radar acquisitions of the Sandy Alderson era. So bringing in Jansen and Harper suggests around a four-year deal, around $50 million. That's a lot of money. That's the kind of money that the Mets probably should be trying to dedicate to Neil Walker. Ioannis uh, uh, Cespedes, who the Mets want back, is going to cost a good deal more than that, at least twice as much, probably, unless he signs another short-term contract with them. But for me, I'm still not a closer guy, certainly not a spend a lot of money on a closer guy, especially how or despite how the narrative has gone in the major leagues this year, where the where guys like Andrew Miller and Aroldis Chapman are becoming stars in the postseason and Jansen himself. It I think it's still possible to I mean look where Miller came from. He was a failed starter. There are plenty of guys like that that have one or two good pitches that you can turn around from failed starters into really good relief pitchers without spending a ton of money on a relief pitcher. You could save that money, spend it on those premium bats that are in such high demand these days. The Mets might have to overpay for Walker because there are no other viable second base options on the free agent market. Meanwhile, there are a ton of guys who throw hard, and maybe with a tweak here or there, you can turn them into a decent closer. In fact, a creative thing that the Mets could do is possibly use Bartolo Colon at the end of the game in those one or two fleeting months next season, hypothetically, where all their starters are healthy, including Zach Wheeler. Bartolo Colon, hypothetically, again, would not have a spot in the rotation, and He's not a prototypical closer. He's not the guy you expect to see at the end of the game because he doesn't throw 95 miles per hour, but the guy just gets out. He doesn't put runners on base. He makes opponents work for what they get. He had a very low ERA this season, despite being a contact pitcher, playing in front of a Mets defense that, let's face it, the team did not put a lot of priority on defense last year. They, they chose to spend their resources in other areas, namely offense, starting pitching, they add to the bullpen at the end of the year. But the point is, that low ERA for a contact pitcher in front of a pretty lousy defense, that means that Bartolo Colon's still a really good pitcher. Maybe his fastball gets a couple of extra notches in miles per hour when he's pitching at the end of the game instead of the beginning. And voila, you have a closer that you don't have to break the bank for. So that's just one example of what the Mets could do. And... Right now, it looks like they have that surplus with Robert Gazelman. If everyone's healthy, what's his role? Seth Lugo, same deal. And you've got a couple more prospects in the pipeline um, with Yanoa, Gabriel Yanoa, and um, a couple other guys. They're drafting guys all the time who, if everyone's healthy, these guys can hopefully help out the bullpen and force the Mets to or allow the Mets to spend money where they really need it, which is on the offense. So Jansen is a really awesome closer, but 
I think if the Mets are a little creative, they can find ways to shore up the back end of their bullpen without spending that kind of money. They need to spend that on Neil Walker because after they traded away Dilson Herrera, there really is no one else to fill that role. So that's something to think about as the offseason continues. This has been Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio. Welcome back, Mets fans. Greg Karam here, along with Steve Seifel once again, to continue our discussion of the Mets minor league system. And we are going to continue to talk about the Arizona Fall League because action did start after we spoke last week and uh, introduced that. So, Steve, why don't you bring us up to speed on what is going on in Arizona? All right. Well, um, as we know, a bunch of Mets prospects have been assigned to the Scottsdale uh, Scorpions. Uh, their manager is Tom Goodwin, who's getting his first um, shot at managing in like almost a, a decade. I think 2009, uh, 2007 was the last time he was a manager. It was for an independent team. We should so, probably so, uh, plug your piece there too, right? You wrote, you right. wrote about it this week. Right. Um, so Scottsdale, currently they've played a few games and their record is uh, two and three. Um the main Mets prospects that we've mentioned before on the, uh, that are on the team are Gavin Cuccini, Matt Oberste, Tim Tebow, uh, Champ Stewart, Tomas Nido, Marcus Molina, Corey Taylor, Corey Oswalt, and David Rosenboom. All of those uh, guys have played in at least one game except for Tomas Nido, uh, but he was assigned to the, um, what the heck is it called? He was assigned to the um, taxi squad, so we knew going, you know, we knew ahead of time that he was only really going to play, I think, Wednesdays and Saturdays, and he hasn't gotten the chance to play, you know, last Wednesday or last Saturday. Yet. Uh, Nito, Nido. Yeah, mm-hmm. Nido. He's on a taxi squad. Yeah, so he's only going to be appearing in very limited at bats. Oh, that's disappointing. All right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the. I guess we could lead into Tebow with this, but one of the complaints I guess that people have had regarding Tebow is that you know it's kind of a making a mockery, I guess, quote unquote, of the process that a guy like him has been given a roster spot. But you know, if you think about it, you know, Nido not really getting that many at bats. Um, it's not really like Matt Oberste or Corey uh, Taylor, Corey Oswalt, or really even David Roseboom are really that interesting of names so well yeah and Keith Law wrote a piece this week I he I guess he saw him out in Arizona and he he laid into the Tebow signing and said that basically Tebow has no shot at being a professional baseball player and that like basically like that the Mets are kind of making a mockery of the player development um, by signing Tebow and and assigning him out there, but to, I thought I thought he was a little bit harsh. I mean, ever since Tebow even announced that he was going to have this tryout, Tebow was saying. I mean, uh, Law was saying that it was going to be a mockery, and he's already making. He already. He let's just say he's not an uh, an unbiased observer here. Um, and it's not to say that Tebow has been doing well out there. He's. I mean, he doesn't have a hit in I guess ten no. at bats. Um, but I mean, he has, you know, 
what is the Arizona Fall League for? It's for getting guys at bats who didn't have those at bats in the regular season, and also guys who are on who are moving on up in the system, and and they want to get more more of a look on them. So I don't know. Seems overly harsh and overly cynical. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's he's not like you said, he's not an unbiased observer. Um, Tebow, I don't think that anybody realistically thinks that Tebow is going to become, you know, suddenly he's going to be a, a major league all star next year, or probably ever, or even sniff the major leagues. But I don't see the point. I I, don't, I personally don't see why there's so much, you know, infuriation and stuff towards the signing. Yeah, it's yeah. a little bit of a distraction. I I I can see that. I mean, as a Jets fan, it's like I've had enough of Tebow a little bit, <laughs> but. I, I, I think it's a little bit overly done. You know, it's it's not going to be a big deal. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I mean, I guess they gave him $100,000, which is, I mean, they probably shouldn't have given him that much yeah. money. Uh, so it kind of doesn't really hide their true intentions, which is probably to make a buck. That's probably the underlying reason. But, like, they were, I saw a tweet this week that said that some that somebody was getting the sense that the that Tebow was respectable, and you know, if he's respectable, fine. You know, uh, might as well just let it play out, see what happens. I mean, what's the worst? You know, in, in terms of that aspect of it, what's the worst thing that he's going to do? You know, lead a group prayer or something like that. It's not like he's going to be impo- imparting on you know the guys that he's playing with bad habits. So you know, right, whatever, right, right. By all accounts, he's a good dude. Anyway. So that will probably be everything that all the Tebow talk just in those last three minutes. That's probably all we're going to cover unless Tebow does something crazy. But uh, so beyond Tebow, um, Marcos Molina threw a couple innings. Yeah, Marcos Molina threw a couple of innings. He pitched two innings, gave up four hits, um, one run, walked a guy. And struck out two. He threw 38 pitches in total, 24 for strikes, 14 for balls. He got two ground balls and one fly ball. Uh, his fastball was sitting in the low 90s and it topped out at like 93, which is a little bit on the low side of where it used to top off, which is about like 95 ish. But given that it's his first start in, you know, pretty much a year, his last start was August 17th. 2015 so it's been over a year since his last start so I'm fine that his uh, fast 12 velocity is a little little down hey I find uh, it encouraging yeah I mean it's not like he's throwing in the 80s or anything like right. that so um, there's a little bit of video so I was watching that you know on Twitter I was watching that the only thing I really got from that is that it looks like he increased his stride length a little bit which lets him use his lower half better and Mechanically, Molina's biggest problem was that he really didn't use his lower half at all. He just kind of like took a step and short-armed every single pitch. Right. So if he's able to, you know, increase his stride, use his low half a little more, and even if it, there are no noticeable gains in velocity or control or anything else, if he's putting less stress on the arm, that's that's the most important thing. Right. Yeah. I saw I saw with the video that you're talking about and agree with your assessment. Um, so it looks like the guy who's just kind of tearing it up, so to speak, as as much as you can tear it up in about ten at bats, uh, is Gavin Cicchini. Yep, right. he is uh, batting. Uh, he's three I, for nine. 
he's he's been three thirty three. He's got a four sixty two on base. Um, yeah, he's, he's he's doing he's doing what he does. He's got a double. Um, yeah. you know, it's encouraging, right? Yeah, um, I mean, we I think we know at this point that he has a a decent idea at the plate. You know, he's a if nothing else, I think he'll be a a solid hit for average guy going forward. Obviously, um, we know that his biggest flaw is his is his defense. Um, he's he's played two game he's played three games in total. Two of them were at second base. Oh, excuse me. Two of them were at shortstop, and one of them was at second base. Okay. Which I thought is a little surprising, um, since Claybar Torres is on the same team and he's like one of the Yankees' top prospects, and he's a shortstop. So we figured he would have gotten. Uh, the position over Trichini, but hey, whatever. Yeah. Well. Um. Yeah. He has one error, which yeah. is which has been his thing. What you expect? Uh, came on a, yeah. He there's he's been involved in six double plays in total. He started five of them as was in the uh, the middleman in one, and the one error that he has so far was um would have been another double play that he was going to be the middleman in, but he kind of rushed the he he got the uh ball from Glebar Torres at short and after he tagged the base you know second he threw wide to first and that kind of has been his his MO is kind of having pace of game issues throwing the ball so yep more of the same more of the same alright so anybody else you want to touch on um Matt Oberste is is 0 for 11 <laughs> So I mean, not much going on there. Uh, Champ Stewart is having a nice little couple of weeks between the World Baseball Classic and the first week of AFL. He's three for eight with a home run, two stolen bases. Oh, good for him. Uh, Corey Taylor, Corey Oswald—they're just pitchers. You know, not much happening. Uh, David Roseboom—he's has not been scored upon or is allowed to hit in 2.1 innings. Um, that's really it. All right. Well, there you have it. That is your AFL uh, recap for the week. And, um, Steve, anything else you want to talk about, or is that uh, everything we got? Yeah, I mean, that's really not much Not much happening right now. Not so. much happening, as you would expect. Well, as the uh, team... <laughs> Team released a bunch of. Um, oh yeah, they, minor they, they league, released uh, a bunch of guys. You guys. wrote a piece about it. Yeah. Uh, who was the biggest surprise out of that group for you? Um, let me go and load that up here. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Off I know the top Michael of my Katz head, I was, was kind I was, of. Oh, Katz, Michael Katz. Uh, he had, I think, at at one point anyway, the most potential out of everyone in that group. But I mean, it's been a good year and a half, two years, whatever, since the last time he put up decent numbers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was surprised actually um, by Daryl Knight a little bit because I, I thought he had like 70, 80 power or something like that. I thought they yeah, might he's, give him a, more of a shot. He's a guy that, I mean, he had major power and a really good arm, and it just his hitting was never, you know, his hitting was always kind of suspect, but he never really got that many reps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to kind of improve that, you know, as a they put they put him at catcher, and, and he's been blocked by Ali Sanchez, uh, Dan Rizzi, Patrick Mazaika, 
And then they put him at first base. He's blocked by Dash, Winningham, and Peter Alonso. So, I mean, he's really had to struggle for playing time. Yeah. Um, let's see. Who else did they release? I'm kind of surprised that they did not resign um, Jeff Walters. But yeah. there's always a chance that they do that in the future. I mean, he's always been a solid, mostly reliable kind of middle to late uh, leverage reliever for the system. Yeah, uh, I think well, he ele- did he elected minor league free agency. Is that what you said? Yeah, he he um they resigned a couple. Of, they resigned uh, Alberto Baldonado and Victor Cruzado, and they elect they allowed him to you know they didn't offer anything to him, so he's a free agent now. Yeah, another one that surprised uh, me was Tyler Badamo because yeah, exactly. Uh, but I think he he must have gotten hurt at some point. I think he might have gotten Tommy John or something because. He just stopped pitching at some point this year. I don't recall off the top of my head. Yeah, me neither. But <laughs> surprising, <laughs> surprising nonetheless. There's a lot of guys. Well, not I me, mean, not a lot necessarily. But there's a bunch of guys that their stats are decent to whatever. But they just, I, I would say, I guess, are kind of maxed out with at the levels that they're at, at now. Yeah. So I mean, going forward, you know, they really, you know, the guy probably is not going to continue being successful on the field is really not that much of a reason to hold on to them. So I think a few of the releases were kind of a case of that. Yeah. All right, Steve. Well, there you have it. There's your AFL app update. Here's your uh, minor league uh, releases. And um, so that's all the time we have for this week. And we will be back with you uh, next week in the same spot. folks that does it for another installment of amazing avenue audio thank you so much for listening please check out amazingavenue.com for all your mets news and uh commentary needs during the season or during the off season we are here for you we will get through this together you can also find amazing avenue on all relevant social media twitter instagram and facebook at amazing avenue you can follow our contributors on twitter i am at brian needs a nap chris is at chris mcshane Steve Saipa is at Steve Saipa, Greg Karam is at Greg Karam, and Aaron York is at APY5000. We'll be back next week with another installment, so until next time, I guess let's go Indians? (laughs) 